praise God. Well, tomorrow, or tomorrow, today, <laughs> tomorrow I hope you remember everything that I've talked about today. But today we're going to talk about, uh, you know, this is a, a subject that, that is, I've thought about often. Because what I want to talk today is, is the answer to what do you say. We live in a, in a, in a world, or rather, uh, a time where, where God's going to be asking us to do stuff. God is always talking to you, and he has a call on your life. And what I want to know, talk about today is, is what is going to be your answer? You know, it's our choice to answer God, whether we'll say, yes, Lord, here I am, or to turn and run the other way. And everything in our life is, everything that we do, uh, Christian, non-Christian, secular, is a result of a decision that we have made. You came to church this morning because you got up and you made the decision, that's where I'm going to be today. You go to work every morning because you get up and you make the decision that you're going to go to work because you've made the decision to take care of your family to make sure they eat and have a, a place over their head. Everything that we do in our life is the result of a decision. Now, in the, Christian, in the Christian world, when we work for God, the decisions that we make should be as a result of what He would like in our life, as, as a result of, of His will in our life. And matter of fact, doing the right thing for the wrong reason is almost as bad as doing the wrong thing. For instance, uh, if we're giving, and, and we're talking about, about uh, tithing this morning, if you give as a as a act of, this is what I have to do, this is, is this thing that I have to do, but not out of joyful in your heart, that's almost as bad as not giving at all. We give to honor God as a, as a, as a choice to honor Him. Um, when we do, a lot of churches have programs, and when these programs are just done, the choice to do them is just done to, to, to meet a need, to, to run as a program in and of themselves, They've lost focus on, on what truly is. They should have, the decision made for these programs to reach people for the lost is different than just doing them just to do them. But the truth is we all have a choice to make. God has a call in your life. He has something planned for you. The question is, what do you say? Do you say, yes, Lord, here I am? Or do you go turn running the other way? And I know in my life, I found that, that uh, it's not that I don't hear God. You know, there's, there's a lot of, I, I don't know, how do I know God's speaking to me? How do I know he's talking to me? Me personally, I hear God pretty clearly most of the time. But you know what my problem is? Is there have been times in my life that I've heard God and I've just chosen to ignore him. I don't know if that's happened to anybody else, but you, you know, you're coming up to a temptation in your life or there's a, there's a point and, and you hear God in the back of your voice saying, I've, I have freed you from that. I've, I remember when I was trying to quit smoking, that's what would happen. I would, I would try to quit and I would hear God saying, you're free from this and the temptation would be coming and I would say, you know, God, I'll just be free tomorrow. And then I would, I would pick up and do these things that God has rightfully paid for me to be free from. So there's many times in my life, like I said, it's not that I don't hear them, but I make a poor choice. I don't say, yes, Lord, here I am. I say, hey, give me a little bit more time to, to do what I'm doing, and then I'll come your way, God. So we're going to talk about today, what do you say? In Genesis 2, 15 through 17, we find that, that it begins. In the beginning, for man, it started with choice. In Genesis 2, chapter 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in, that, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. From the very beginning, man had a choice to make. 
Is he going to listen to God and be obedient and eat from any tree in the garden? Or is he going to choose not to? And we, we know how this all plays out. He's tempt, uh, the woman is tempted by the devil and she brings Adam along with her and they eat from the, the one tree in the entire garden they're not allowed to eat from. They're coerced into making a bad choice. But that's how it works in our lives. We've been given free will by God to make these choices. And I've often asked, why did we even get this choice in the first place? I mean, wouldn't our life be better if, if we couldn't, if the tree just wasn't there, if there was never a choice, we just had to live the life that God put out for us? But the truth is, there's no relationship without free will. Without free will, we cannot have any kind of lasting relationship. If my wife loved me because she had to, because she had no choice. It's like these kidnappers that kidnap uh, women and try to force them into a relationship. That's no relationship. That's not a relationship at all. There's no fulfillment. There's no love. There's no, there's no anything for that. It's like, it's like a robot. You might as well just go get something programmed. So the question is, is would life really be better if we would have never been given the choice? Would life really be better if everything was scripted and everything was wrote, it would be more like an army of robots on this earth rather than, than living beings that can have a relationship of love and trust with God. Because we have these, this free will, this choice, we actually get to enjoy things. We get to have emotion. We get to enjoy and have hope and success and triumph. All these things are available because we have a choice to do these things. This incredible relationship that we have with God, this opportunity to be on one-to-one friendship level with God, a, a God who loves us so much that he gave everything was because of choice. Because we could never have that kind of relationship with him if we didn't have the opportunity to run the other way. And in Luke 1.30, Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 38, we're going to start talking about Mary, the choice that she had to make. The angel said to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, this is an incredibly amazing story. Mary was probably 16-ish, somewhere around there. She's a very young woman, 16, 18. And uh, she's betrothed to Joseph. They're going to get married. They're engaged. And the greatest event in history was based on the choice of this young woman who is no different than you or I. Mary didn't have any special characteristic that made her worthy of being the one to carry Jesus into this world. She wasn't super spiritual. She didn't have a stronger will than you or I. She didn't have something inside of her that made her worth more than you or I. She was just like us. But the greatest event in history rested on a woman who was going to carry the Son of God to this earth so that we could all be saved. And the interesting thing about it is, is the angel comes to her and she has a choice. Mary could have run. 
Well, how do you know she had a choice? How do you know? Because this is what she says. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Mary said yes. I mean, can you imagine how much different this world would be if Mary had said no? If Mary refused to carry the Son of God? I mean, because she's about to, I mean, imagine the world back then. This is a world today, you know, we have special programs in high school for teenagers that get pregnant, so they don't have to pay for daycare, they don't have to drop out of school. There's actually daycares in high school, and you can bring your kids in. We have classes in high school that teach 13, 14-year-olds how to take care of a baby. We have all this stuff, and today, you know, a, a young girl getting pregnant out of wedlock, or just in general, just taught nothing of. I mean, it's... You know, we're dealing with it, and it's almost not even the, there's nothing negative about it. It's almost like it's a good thing. Matter of fact, there's, there's some young girls that get pregnant on purpose because they think it's such an awesome thing to be pregnant in high school. But back then, things are a whole lot different. I mean, they're not married yet. And if she gets pregnant, one, sex outside of marriage back then was not happening. That was a big no-no. Matter of fact, they would stone you for that. And if she got pregnant, they would stone her for that. They would kill her for, for doing this. Now, when the angel came to her, I imagine this is running through her head. What is this going to cost me? What, what is going to happen if this happens? But she starts off and not in saying, no, I won't do this for Lord. She's like, how is this going to happen? She starts in disbelief. How can this be since I am a virgin? She's like, how, how are you going to do this? This can't happen. But then the angel tells her how it's going to be. And she says, you know what? May it be done according to your word. She agrees. But I can't imagine what she would have had to go through to, to deal with this world knowing that she's going to be pregnant. People are going to know that she's not married. People are going to know this all happened. And she's going to have to deal with that ridicule. She's going to have to deal with, truthfully, the possibility of death, especially as we'll read here, here coming next, if Joseph wasn't the man that he was. In Matthew 1, eight, verses 18 through 21, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Here we begin to see the heart of Joseph, a man who, who instead of dragging her out into the streets and publicly defaming her and showing all these things, says, you know what? I'm not staying with you. You went and gotten pregnant somehow. I mean, it wasn't. I know it wasn't by me. So he plans to send her away. He's like, you know, I'm not going to marry you. But he's not going to. He's not. He's not vindictive. He's not mean about it. He's just going to send her away quietly. But then it says, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, Joseph has a dream about this angel who says, you know, it's okay, it's okay. You know, a lot of us seem to think that if we were living in these times, it would be so easy to be obedient to God. It would be so easy to follow what, he, follow what he has to say. Because Joseph had an angel come to him, but an angel didn't physically manifest in front of Joseph. He had a dream. I mean, what if he woke up the next morning and went, that was weird. Maybe I ate too much. Uh, I ate something wrong before I went to bed. That was, I don't know. What if he didn't recognize that was from God? 
What if he chose to say, oh, that was a dream that wasn't from God? How many times has God spoken to us and we try to rationalize it away, saying, oh, God would never ask me to do this. Oh, oh no, that was, that was, that's, some, that's not God. That's something else. But he comes and he talks to the Holy Spirit in a, in a dream, tells, or an angel in a dream tells Joseph that, no, go ahead and take her as your wife. So we have this man who now has to live his life with I wonder how long till the, the gospel was being preached it took for for people to realize that that Jesus was the Christ. That that the son of Mary was Jesus Christ. He was their savior. I mean even even till Jesus is in his mid thirties, people are saying, Who is this? Isn't he don't we know his mom? Don't we know his dad? I mean his whole life he grew up being thought of as the the child that was born out of wedlock. I mean, they're living their lives with people pointing and saying, oh, that's the one, that's that's not even Joseph's son. Or or they they slept uh, slept together beforehand. They're doing these things wrong. And and they're going through life with with people judging them and looking at them like that. You know, we seem to think that that Joseph and Mary just had it super easy. You know, back in, in in the Bible days when God told somebody to do something, man, it was just like smooth sailing after they told him. And we talked about uh, last, last week or the week before last with Joseph who, who all the struggles he went through when God gave him a vision. But the truth is that they had to make a decision that we were going to go forward this. When, when the angel came to Joseph, Joseph could have just ran and turned the other way. He said, no, I'm not dealing with this. Sorry, Lord, you're going to have to find somebody else. And their life would have been a whole lot different. Jesus wouldn't have grew up with a father. Mary would have probably been outcast and homeless and not had anywhere to live. I mean, the story could have turned out so much differently. So my question is to you, when God speaks to you, what is your answer? Are you going to say yes, like Joseph and Mary? Or do we turn and run the other way? See, the problem with turning and running the other way and being disobedient is is we, we begin to introduce problems in our life. Not saying that, that when you follow God fully, you're not going to have problems, but if you don't follow God, you're guaranteed to have problems, and you don't have the strength in God with you to overcome these unless you turn back towards Him. In Numbers 14, 28 through 30, it says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You know, this, just as you have spoken... In my hearing, so I will surely do to you. This is when the Jews were, were getting ready to go in the promised land. They sent out the spies, and they began to say, Oh no, we can't take the land. If we go in there, the, the, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. The Nephilim, they're going to kill us, and they're just going to take our women. And oh, it would be so much better if we just went back to Egypt. You remember that? And so God says, You say you can't have the promised land, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Basically, because they disbelieved, they chose to not believe God, their choice was not to say, Yes, Lord, but to turn the other way. God said, It's going to be just as you have spoken. You won't inherit the promised land. And then we hear in Acts 7.39, it says, Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him, and in their hearts turned back to Jesus. Basically, they, they rationalized the situation. They complained about, complained about the situation. They couldn't do what God said they, they, they said they couldn't do what God said they could. 
and in their hearts they went back to Jesus. You know that you can, on the surface, on the outside, look like you're going one direction, but internally with your heart, the attitude of your heart says you're not trusting God, says you're not moving forward. It was their hearts that turned back to Egypt that caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And I thank God, even in that time, even though they never made it to the promised land, God made it where they had food every morning. They were, every need was met. Their shoes actually grew with their feet. Can you imagine? They would be so much cheaper if my, my kids' vans grew with their feet and didn't wear out. The clothes didn't wear out. And then in Hebrews 3, 18 through 19, it says, And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. You know, they didn't believe that God had the best thing for them. They thought that God was sending them in to be destroyed by the people in that land, that the giants lived in that land. You know, God says, will you go into the promised land? And because they didn't believe he would do what he said he would do, they turned and ran the other way. You know, there's times that God's going to ask you to do things, and you're going to say, can I do this? I mean, when God told me I was going to be a pastor, it was probably a year or two before I finally said, all right, God, I'll do it. Because I sat and I, I argued violently with God, because that's not what I wanted to do. If any, if I remember, I think I've told you guys my story. There was a time in, in high school when I was sitting next to my, my best friend at the time. His dad was a pastor, and he said... Uh, I said, you know what, I, I really appreciate what your dad's doing, but there is no way I could ever be a pastor. I would recommend if you don't want to be a pastor not to say that out loud. But, uh, you know, God says, no, yes, you can. And, uh, you know, today I'm doing it not, not by my own strength because I trust God and he's pulling me through that. And the successes that we've had here is because God is faithful. Because I'm not that bright and I'm not that great of a speaker. I don't know the Bible as well as I think I should. Any of, you, any of you think that you don't know the Bible as well as you should? That's why you don't talk to people? You know more of the Bible than pastors in Africa. And you guys think that's crazy, but it's true. There's, there's pastors in Africa pastoring small churches and villages that don't know but a thumbnail, you know, a pinky finger of what you know. You know enough to tell people about Jesus. You know enough. And God will give you the words to speak. And in Luke chapter 9, 62, Jesus said, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, it says here that they, they turned back towards Egypt. They were looking back towards what they had. They wanted the leeks and, and they wanted to be slaves again. They wanted to be brick, do more bricks. And, and, but the truth is that, just like Jesus said, and one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What he's saying is that, that once you decide to do it, once you give your life to God, keep looking forward. Don't look back at what you used to have and desire that in your heart because it is nothing compared to what you have. <clears throat> you know, when uh, Elijah went and found... I forget who come. Elijah went and found Elisha. Who's first, Joseph? Elisha's second, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, blanking. I forgot it's alphabetical. When Elijah went to go find Elisha, he's out in the field. And he's and it's such a funny story because Elijah really doesn't want to do this. It's like it just seems like such an inconvenience to Elijah. He walks up to him and says, Here's my mantle, you're gonna be the next prophet, and, and he just turns around and walks away. Doesn't talk to him, says, You're it, and walks away. And 
yeah, but I, it's, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, man, he just really didn't want to go talk to this guy. He just, but what Elijah does is amazing because, or Elisha, what he does is he takes his plow and he breaks it apart and he uses that wood, kills his oxen that was pulling the plow and sacrifices them to God and follows after Elijah. And what he was doing was saying that, you know what, I can never come back. How many know that if you're a farmer and you destroy your tools and give them to God, you can't go back to plowing the field now that your plow is on fire and your, your oxen has been sacrificed to God. You know, Elijah said, I'm not turning back. I will follow God. And that's what we should do in our lives as well. We shouldn't be disobedient and turn our hearts back to Egypt, to our Egypt. That was what you came from, what you had. But keep looking forward to your promised land and God. The truth is, when we're, when we're unobedient to God, it doesn't mean that we're going to go to hell. It doesn't mean that, that uh, you're, you're damned eternally. Because you can still be saved, but be disobedient to God. These folks here, they were disobedient, but God still took care of them. But you know that they didn't have the blessing and the promise that God wanted in their life. Because they, were, they, they didn't say, here I am, but they turned and ran the other way. And in 1 Kings 13, 15 through 19, it says, Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a command came to me by, by the word of the Lord. You shall eat no bread nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came. And he said to him, I, am also, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him, so he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. So this is a uh, prophecy concerning Josiah, one of the Old Testament prophets. And he actually runs into, he goes to, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, he, no, he gave a, this prophet gave a prophecy concerning Josiah, saying that he would burn the priests of high places on the altar. The sign to prove this was the word of God, was the altar cracking, ashings pouring out. Now this prophet Josiah goes to see Jeroboam, Pardon me. <laughs> Jeroboam hears this prophecy, stretches his hand out to the young prophet, saying, Seize him. So Josiah goes, prophesies this to Jeroboam, the king of the time. Jeroboam sees him, and he starts to curse this prophet because of what he just prophesied. And when he does, he sticks his hand out, his hand shrivels up. Then he says, All right, Josiah, prophesy again so my hand can be normal. He goes and uh, so Josiah does. Jer Jeroboam hands goes back to normal. Jeroboam asks the man to, to uh, stay with him for food and water as reward for healing him. And the prophet says, "No, God told me in verse uh, thirteen nine uh, that you shall eat no bread, nor drink no water, nor return by which the way you came." So that's the the quick backstory, uh, if that made any sense. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, he's going home, and he gets he gets. He runs into this old prophet, you know, the prophet before him, no longer hearing from God. I think he's a little bit jealous. And he says, oh, no, come and stay and eat with me. And Josiah says, no, I, uh, God told me not to, to eat any bread or drink any water nor go the way I came. So this prophet, this old prophet, lies to him and says, no, go ahead and uh, eat with me. I had a vision from the Lord. You can go and eat with me. So the thing is, Josiah hears the word of the Lord. God's speaking to him. There's no doubt that God is speaking to him. 
And he begins by being obedient. He tells Jeroboam, sorry, I can't eat and drink, I can't eat and drink with you. I have to do what God says, and I have to go now by a different way. And he begins to be obedient. But when we're obedient to God, you have to understand that, that the devil is going to instantly try to distract you. He's going to instantly try to work in your life and make you not do what God wants in your life. Like we said before, God has blessing planned for your life. He has stuff he wants to do with you. But if we're distracted and we're disobedient, then the enemy can actually make us less effective for God. So as we keep reading, it says, Now it came about as they were sitting down at the table. This is 1 Kings 13, 20-24. Now it came about as they were sitting down at the table that the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. This is the old prophet. And he's sitting and eating with him. And he says, And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the command of the Lord, you have not observed the commandment which the Lord God commanded you, but you have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place in which you said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. It came about after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, for the prophet whom he had brought back. Now when he had gone, a lion met him on the way and killed him. And his body was thrown on the road with a donkey standing beside it. The lion also was standing beside the body. Now this story caused me all kinds of, of like, why did this happen? The, the guy just, he was told not to eat and drink. He gets lied to by a prophet. He eats and drinks with the guy. Now the prophet suddenly has a real prophecy from God and says, now you're, because of this, you're going to die. And I was like, all he did was have some food. And God killed him. That was, that was what's running through my head. God killed him because he was disobedient. I mean, how many things has God told me to do and I haven't listened? Is God going to strike me down dead? But then I had a revelation of what's going on here. God didn't actually, God doesn't actually kill the guy for what's going on. If you read, he gets eaten by a lion. Now, the reason he was there at the same time as the lion is because he stopped and ate and drank food. If he would have not stopped with this prophet and stayed the night and just kept going, he would have never met the lion. The lion wouldn't have been there and nothing would have happened. We have to understand there's a difference between consequences and punishment. Then we've talked about this before, but it's like, you know, if you smoke and you get cancer, it's not God punishing you with cancer because you smoked. It's because you smoked and there's carcinogens in it and it gives you cancer. We know that now. You know, if you, if you cross the street without looking both ways and just run out into traffic and you get hit by a car, God's not punishing you for being a, being a poor citizen and not looking both ways. You got hit by a car because you ran in front of a car. Difference between consequence and punishment. What happened here is a consequence of disobeying God. He got eaten by a lion because he was where the lion was at that time. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When, when stuff that happens in your life that's bad, it's because the enemy is doing it. But when you're disobedient to God, we tend to put ourselves in situations where the enemy can really wreak havoc in our life. Now let's look at Jonah. Jonah's another one who, who heard from God. Jonah 1, 1 through 3 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's an odd word. So, God comes to Jonah and says, you need to go to Nineveh. Now, the problem here is that the Ninevites are not Jews. 
they're they're heathen. They're they're uh, <clears throat> they're Gentiles. And God says, "Go preach to the Gentiles." And Jonah's got a little bit of uh, 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 got his nose stuck up in the air a little bit. He doesn't want to go speak to these non-Jews and, and and preach to them about God because that's reserved for the Jews. He's got a little elitism going on. So if we keep reading, he. Uh, he jumps on a ship, and we know the story, right? He gets on the ship, storms come in, and he realizes that because he's running from God, he's removed himself from the protection of the Lord, and the devil's just having a go at him. Storms rising up, so he tells the guys, throw me overboard, and you'll be okay. So he gets thrown overboard, gets eaten by a big fish, fish spits him back out on land so he can go talk to the Ninevites. So God's got a plan for his life, and he's finally he's like, all right, God, I'll go, fine, <laughs> I'll go. So he goes. And he preaches to the, to, to the Ninevites. And it says here, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. This is Jonah 3, uh, verses 3 through 5. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Jonah is the most successful prophet in the Old Testament. This is a city that takes three days to walk from one side to the other, full of people. He walks through there, and the entire city gets saved. And they're not even Jews. So the, 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 the moral of this story is that when we run the wrong way, we can just let the devil have a go at us. You know, in, in Luke 13 through 34, it says, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones that sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wing, and you would not have it. You know, the God, just like a mother hen, wants to keep us close to his breast, keep us close where he can protect us. But if we push hard enough, we can run away from him. And the enemy just has a go at us. He, he, he's able to attack us because our back is turned towards God instead of being close to him and letting him work in our life. But there's great news that we see in the story that even after you're disobedient, even if you've had a point in your life where you know God's told you to do something, but instead of saying, yes, Lord, here I am, you've turned and ran the other way, that if you'll just turn back towards God, if you'll just repent and put your eyes back on Him and once again say, yes, Lord, here I am, He can do amazing things in you. The reluctant prophet was incredibly successful and saved an entire city. And God can do the same thing and use you still powerfully if you'll just finally turn back towards Him. And here's another, another story that's, that's interesting to me. This, did you know that Jesus had a choice? Jesus was, was a man just like you and I. Matter of fact, he, he didn't consider his deity to be something to be grabbed hold of, but he laid it aside so he could live just like you and I. You know, we, we seem to think that Jesus went through life not sinning because he was God. That's not the case. He was tempted in every single way that you and I are tempted. He had the same lust, desires. He was in the body of a man, just like you and I. The reason why he's successful is because he dealt with the exact same thing as us, but he was victorious regardless of it. In spite of all the stuff that he went through, he was still victorious. And when his life is inside of us, that's why we can be victorious going through all the same stuff that we go through. And in Luke 22, 41 through 42, it says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus didn't want to do it. He knew what was coming. 
he knew. Uh, have you guys all seen The Passion? The one, uh, uh, what's his name? Mel, Mel, no, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson did The Passion. But if you've ever watched that, I've only watched it once because I don't really have the desire to see it again because you begin to see as best as we can show what Jesus went through. And I don't believe that's a quarter of it. You know, that's, we can't really show what Jesus went through without, if you can watch that without just being ripped up inside, knowing what he did so that you could be made whole. And Jesus knew that was coming. I mean, it says he sat in the garden and, and he sweated blood because he was so distraught. And he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then we have God on the other side. And, and George, can you imagine if, if John was saying, Dad, don't let this happen to me. Don't make me go through it. Can you imagine what that would do to your heart? Or John, if, if one of your daughters one of your daughters was saying, don't let this happen to me, and you knew what was going to happen, if there's anything you can do, save me, what would that do to your heart? I tell you what, if I was God, you'd all be going to hell. Because if my son was crying out to me, save me, don't let this happen to me, I would. But God loved you so much that he let his son go to the cross so that you could be whole, to endure this pain. And, and the Bible says that Jesus, for the hope set before him, endured the cross and endured the shame. He did it for us. Philippians 2, 7-8 says, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as men, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus just like you or I, was a, was a man. He had the same thoughts, desires, wants, needs as us. And he had a choice. And I thank God that he said, yes, Lord, here I am. Because we'd be living in a terribly different world today if he had not. But you say, well, I don't have something that big to accomplish. You know, God's not sending me to save the world. What choice can I make that have an impact? What is God asking me to do that I, have, that, that I need to say yes to? You know, it doesn't have to be something huge like saving the world to be obedient to God to say yes. A lot of it's just when God says, hey, go tell your friend about me, say yes. Hey, go to a life group or a Bible study, say yes. If you have any of that stuff, when God's talking to you, <laughs> this wasn't directed directly at anybody. Look at this. This is, this is where you look at the ceiling and preach. <laughs> if everybody was already going to a Bible study, I would have still said that. That being said, when God's telling you to go to a Bible study, say yes, we have one on Tuesday nights. Um, <laughs> Praise God. In Acts 26, 19 through 20, Paul's talking to King Agrippa and he says, I did not prove to be disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. You know, Paul proved to be obedient. As he's telling the king that, you know, Paul went through some, through some stuff. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was 39 lashes multiple times. He was shipwrecked actually multiple times. He was persecuted. I was reading about the uh, 
they, they may have found the, the prison cell that he was put in. And the way the Romans did prison cells back then is, is we seem to, you know, today they got big giant cells and one or two guys in there with bunk beds. And, and really, they don't have it that bad nowadays in prison. A matter of fact, so much of the case that there's a lot of guys, when they get out, they try to get back in because it's easier than having to deal with life. But what they did back then is, is they took and they dug a big pit and somebody laid on the floor of the pit and then they put a grate down and somebody laid on that grate and then they put another grate down and somebody laid on that grate and they just laid and this is their prison cell that sits high and when you went to the bathroom, you just hope you're the guy on top. I mean, prison was not a good place and Paul did this and he says, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. <clears throat> He faced incredible odds. He was probably increased in incredible fear, but he never gave up. Matter of fact, most of what we read in the New Testament is from him because he was obedient and he said, Yes, Lord, here I am. So what can we accomplish if we just prove to be obedient? You know, I know when I've been obedient in my life, I've seen great things happen. I've seen this, this congregation, this church, as a result of Michelle and I being obedient and saying yes. Did you know that if Michelle and I would have said no, you wouldn't be here this morning? I mean, you'd probably still be alive. You just wouldn't be literally here. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to see what God can do when you just be obedient to him. The question you're going to have to ask yourself is when you get to heaven and you stand before him, is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, well done? You know? And in Isaiah 54 through 5, it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. You know, God's going to give you the words to speak, to touch people, to speak in their lives. He's given you the tongue of disciples. How do you get the tongue of disciples? By having the ear to listen as a disciple. You know, we are to disciple people, and we are to be disciples ourselves. We are to teach others about the Lord and help them grow in the Lord, and we are to sit under others so that we can continue to grow and mature. And sometimes we just need to stop talking and sit down and listen to what God has to say. And God's going to talk to you in a multiple of ways. One, he's going to talk to you through what we refer to as our conscience or that your own voice inside your head. That's God speaking to you. And you know when it's God speaking to you because it aligns with the Word of God. You know, when, when you hear someone saying, man, I, when, you, when you hear yourself saying to yourself or you hear your, in your head, you know, go, go tell that cashier at Circle K about, about Jesus. And you're like, oh, well, maybe that's the devil telling me that, so I'll be embarrassed. You know, you start rationalizing in your head. Guess what? The devil's not going to go tell you to tell anybody about Jesus. If, if you got that going on in your head, it's God. You might want to say, yes, Lord, and prove to be obedient. And then it says, I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Keep going forward for God. You know, when we first started this whole journey in planning a church and becoming pastors, uh, we initially wanted to be in the northwest part of Tucson. That was what me and Michelle wanted. But our pastor uh, said, no, I, I think you guys need to go plant in Casa Grande. We, we have a need up there, and, and now we feel like that's where God wants you to go. And to be honest with you, we prayed about it, and we didn't have, you know, we didn't feel like God was telling us, yes, you need to go to Casa Grande, but we also didn't hear anything from God saying, no, you don't need to Casa Grande. So 
we decided to be obedient to our pastor. We decided to, to listen to what he had to say because you know what? God will speak to you through your leaders. And we were obedient. We began the process and we started to get a heart for Casa Grande and we were getting all fired up and ready to go and things are going. And then my pastor comes back after about a year, what, a year we're doing all this stuff. Says, you know what? No, this isn't working. Let's go ahead and, and, and do something in the northwest part of Tucson. Let's do it in Marana. And one, it was weird because you know, you, you get fired up, you get ready to go, you got a heart for your going, and then all of a sudden it changes. And, you know, I wondered, why did that happen? You know, why, why did God, why did this change? You know, we got set to go, but it was like when Isaac offered his son to God, he was going to sacrifice him. It wasn't because God wanted his son. God wanted to know if he was willing to give his son. God wanted to know, were we willing to go? And we were. And because of that, he gave us the desire of our heart, which was to plant in northwest Tucson. This is where we wanted to go. He, he honored us in that because we were not disobedient and we did not turn back. Amen? And we're nothing special. Michelle and I are just people just like you. There's nothing special about us. There's nothing in me that, that makes me live a better life than you other than I know who Jesus is and I know he's inside of me. There's nothing different. You can be just as effective as any Christian leader that you've ever met if you'll just be obedient to God and toward towards him. And in Titus 3, 1 through 4, I want to talk about what is our motivation? Why do we obey? It says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentile, sorry, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love of, for the mankind appeared. See, the reason that we do these good things, that we be obedient we, and we, we make these decisions is because there's a world of people out there who, were, who are like we once were. They're foolish. They're disobedient. They're deceived. They're enslaved to various lusts. But we've received this. The kindness of God our Savior has been bestowed upon us. And the reason we say yes to God is because everything is ultimately to reach people so that they can have the same thing that we have inside of us. The reason why when we see people in the world sinning that we don't point fingers at them and judge them is because they're not Christians. They, they haven't received the love of Christ inside of them. They don't know that they don't have to behave that way. Our goal is to tell them about Jesus so that they can have that same hope and treasure that we have inside of us so that they can begin to live the life that they were called to live. Amen? That's why we are obedient. That's why we love is because God loved us. The truth is that if, if I were to come and give any one of you guys a gift, if I were to give you $500, our, our natural reaction is to start thinking how we can repay that person. How can we give them? I and they've given us, they've blessed us with such an awesome thing. Now what can I do for them? And in the same way, God gave us a gift bigger than I could ever give you. And my entire life, I couldn't give you the kind of gift that God gave you. And we should be doing the same thing. He gave so much. What can I give in return? You'll never be able to repay him. That's not the point. But the point is, is as a result, as a, a natural response to what he's done for, for us, we are obedient and, and do all that we can for him. Amen? 
And in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, I, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we're to say yes to. Everything, the ultimate goal is to reach people. And, and I, I know I talk about it often from up here, but that is the goal of Living Hope Family Church, is to reach people, to win the lost. Our goal is to raise people up. To, to one, we, we evangelize. If you've ever been on our website, you see our, our motto is evangelize, equip, and empower. First thing we do is we evangelize. We, we tell people about Jesus. We want to tell them of the love of Christ. But that's not where we stop, because we begin to make disciples of them. Like it says here, not go for and make converts, but go for and make disciples of all the nations. So we take people and we bring them in and we begin to get them involved in, in Bible studies and we, have, we spend time with them. That's the reason why that, that we have lunch after churches, so we can spend time and begin to grow together. That's the reason why we try to have the barbecues and stuff, so we can spend time together and grow and, and we can disciple one another. And then we equip. That's the second part is equipping, the discipling. And finally, the last part is empower. And empowering is, is basically you, you get somebody saved, you teach them, and then you empower them to go out and do the same thing. You know, that's our goal is to, to raise people up because we're going to have people, as we grow, we're going to need Bible study or life group leaders. That's what we call them as life groups. We're going to need people to, to lead those, those uh, life groups and act in actually in a pastoral capacity, a pastoral role to the people that will be, that, be under you in your, in your life group. We're going to be raising people up. I want to start raising up pastors out of this congregation. So there's going to be people that come in here, and maybe it's even you sitting in this room, that are going to grow up and pastor a church someday. That is our goal is to, to lift people up, to, to equip them and empower them to do the work of the Lord. Amen. And in 2 Timothy 2, 1-2, it says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. You know, we're going to be able to teach others. That's one of the goals in this church is to, to take the stuff that we heard and teach others. This is the opportunity. You know, George, you were telling me that you're talking to a, to a guy and you've invited him to church. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's you saying, yes, Lord. Because I know that's not easy. I know even I'm a pastor and I still have difficulty talking to people in certain situations for fear of what's going to happen to me at work or what are they going to say, what are they going to think of me. It's, I'm not special because I'm sitting up here. I go through the same things you guys go through. But I always say yes, Lord. And I keep moving forward. And, you know, it's amazing. The same thing, you've invited someone to church. It's, I know it's not easy, but I know that you'll be blessed and that you're going to be touched because you were obedient. And then we're going to take that opportunity to teach them. You know, sometimes teaching involves formal classrooms or, or like, you know, in church. Or, but sometimes it's just sitting down at lunch and, and uh, when someone says, oh, I thought God was, was just uh, out there waiting for you to mess up to get you. And you can take the opportunity to explain to somebody, no, God loves you with all of his heart. He wants nothing but the best from you. Teaching can take place in many different environments and in many different ways. But that's what we are is, is to... Like Paul told Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these into faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And finally, the last scriptures I want to look at today is in 1 Timothy 6, 12 through 13. 
<clears throat> says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and to Christ Jesus who testifies the good confession before Pontius Pilate. That was Jesus testifying that I am the Son of God. And you testifying when you got up, when you got saved, when you testify, when you tell people you're a Christian, you tell people that you've accepted the Lord, that you testifying, and you're fighting the good fight of faith. And in Titus 3.14 it says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so they not, will not be unfruitful. You know, our goal is to keep fighting the good fight of faith. Keep standing against the devil and saying, no, you have no authority here. Matter of fact, I have authority over you and you need to leave. It's fighting the good fight of faith in, in a sense of, of we're learning to do good deeds and being fruitful and we're able to, to meet the needs of others and, and actually just be fruitful in our lives so people can see God at work inside of us. You know, ultimately, God has a plan and call for your life. He has a plan for you to reach people, to touch people, to lift people up. He has a plan for you to do His will in this world. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we say, no, Lord, I'm going to turn and run the other way. I don't have time for that. No, Lord, I'm sorry, I've got something else more pressing that needs to be done. I'm sorry, Lord, but there's, there's always something else that takes precedence. Or do we say, you know what, God, you are number one in my life. You are my focus and my purpose. And I say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. Amen.